Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Bold, Beautiful, Borderline podcast. It's your host, Sarah, and the beautiful Lori. And today we are talking more about my ADD. Um, But before we get into that, we have so many new Patreon folks to thank. We love you guys. You make this so possible for us. Thank you so much. Um, I tried to convince Lori we should take the money out of our Patreon account and like go on a girl's trip. And she was like, no, you know, we have bills that we need to pay for this podcast. So that's fine. But just know that I was trying to use your money in a fun way, not so responsible way. So we are allocating it responsibly. Um, but we want to thank the following folks, Alana, Jessica, Candace, Chris, Jessica, M. And Rachel, thank you so much for being in our Patreon community. We love you guys. And again, you make this super possible for us. So, um, okay. Without further ado, Lori, let's talk about my ADD. Um, okay. First of all, you really thought I was going to get an ADD diagnosis. Uh, yeah, obviously. (laughs) So, okay. Here's the funny thing. And then I will... I I will reveal if I did or did not get an ADD diagnosis, but I really would not have known that I struggled so much with these things in a way that is not borderline specific. If it wasn't for one, my divorce and two, my relationship with Lori, um, my divorce after, you know, removing Tori from my life and how much assistance she just inherently gave one, because she has a kind of controlling tendency, but two, because, um, it was easier for us, for her to take on task completion things. So when she was missing, I was like, Oh man, there's so much I can't easily do. And then my relationship with Lori, I think has been chaotic at times because, you know, she has this really skillful, beautiful ability to complete things on a really regimented timeline. And I do not, and we couldn't for a while kind of like get on the same page about things. And then when I was like, uh, I think I have ADD, you've been able to relax a bit more and like give me more time and space. And I really appreciate that, um, from you because it's helped me kind of figure things out. But yeah, I have to say that our relationship has been really helpful in me being like, oh man, there's a deficit here, you know, that's like really impacting my functional ability that I need to kind of figure out. So yeah, that's a good point because I think honestly, some of the stigma about BPD is like, like, you know, oh, you're going to be unemployed. You're going to be like all over the place. You're going to be whatever. Whereas like, I don't think that that's, I think that's more stigma than it is reality for BPD. And yeah, like clearly I'm, I'm to be fair, I'm on the annoying end of organized. <laughs> so like, we're very, very different. <laughs> and I think that like, yeah, it's, I mean, what we've been doing this for almost two, a year and a half now, a year like, and a half, like it's crazy. We're still working on our relationships um, big time, but, but I do have to say, it feels like to me that it's in a good place. Totally. And you medicated on this ADD med is uh, like, I know you're also doing work, but like this ADD med has changed our relationship for the better. I wish everyone could see my dance right now. You're doing a pretty sweet dance. <laughs> no, dude, the ADD med game changer. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be on a stimulant. That would just make my life so much easier too. Perhaps I will explore that because I'm having some side effects on the non-stim that I don't love, but 
yeah, it, our relationship really has helped me realize, okay, there is this kind of deficit and you're right. Like I have been gainfully employed full-time since I was 17. I worked full-time my senior year swing shift. I went to college working full-time for, you know, seven years, borderline maybe made those things harder, but like, I've never been fired. I've never had any negative employment review. Like yeah, I've never it makes had things an harder with my for sure. Yeah. It makes but, things harder for but sure, we but do everything it. in life is harder. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Like there, yeah, that stigma is totally bullshit. If anything, my ADD would, and my eating disorder made my employment harder than my borderline did, but okay. Drum roll, please. Da, 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 da. I got my psyche valve back. So I went through my three 90 minute evaluations. My psychologist took like a week or two weeks to kind of like analyze the results and all of these things. And so two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago now, she sent me my evaluation before our review appointment. And so I knew my results before I went into the about like the review appointment with her. And so I got a 10 page psyche val, which as a therapist, as someone who writes clinical evaluations, it was like so cool, but also so weird to read through. And I was getting really nervous as I was kind of reading through this evaluation, because what they, they do is they, you know, they give like a referral reason, the background, blah, 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 yada, yada. We don't have to go through that. And then the behavioral observations and mental status. Can I read this to you? It's just so fucking weird. Of course, do it. So weird. Okay. Miss Amundsen was oriented to time, place, and purpose of the assessment. She was neatly groomed. Her mood was neutral. She spoke clearly and logically. She demonstrated no gross impairment in thought process or psychomotor process. There were no indications of psychosis, mania, or hypomania. Suicidal ideation and homicidal ideation were also denied. Um, the remote testing environment appeared free of distractions. No technical problems were noted. Sarah was engaged throughout the session. She was cooperative. She put forth her best effort at all tasks. She struggled throughout the testing process when she perceived herself to be doing poorly, often responding with tearfulness and self-criticism. She responded well when redirected to focus on the task rather than her performance. She stated she did not take her guanfacine prior to testing so as not to be a confounding factor. I lied. I took it um, the first time, not the second time. <laughs> what? I forgot. Duh, dude, ADD. I forgot to not take my med the night before. And so I took it. And so I was, I was medicated, to, you know, um, before the first evaluation. And then the second evaluation and the third evaluation, I was not medicated, but the first they, part I was this, this, uh, this document you're reading identifies all three evaluations, right? Yeah. Do they separate the three? Yes. So okay. just fucking wait for it. Okay. It goes cool. In a linear, it goes in a linear yeah, okay. fashion. Cool. 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 Go. And then when she reminded me in the first eval, she was like, did you take your medication? Like you weren't supposed to. And I was like, nope, I didn't. And then I was like, fuck man. But then I stopped taking it for weeks for the second and third one. Okay. And this is interesting because it was good insight for me. I didn't feel like I was all that self-critical. I knew I was tearfulness in one in the memory portion of the eval because it was fucking so hard. But like, I wasn't like, I didn't feel like I was being self-critical. So for her to recognize that and put it in the evaluation was interesting. 
That is interesting also, because when we recorded on it, you were incredibly self-critical and I noticed that as well. And I didn't. Yeah. It just goes to show how self-critical you probably are day to day, right? Like, you know, it's like not abnormal for you is what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So thus there were no aspects of her behavior or the testing that were likely to have been compromised (laughs) for this reason. The results are likely to be an accurate representation. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. So Miss Amundsen obtained a full scale IQ score of 99 at the 47th percentile in the average range, which I'm basically, I'm like, "Mm, I'm not that smart. Um, her verbal reasoning abilities were measured by the verbal comprehension index with which fell in the average range. So that it goes in linear. So all of the tests are listed linearly. Um, so that was average. And then the next test, which scored um, executive functioning and cognitive skills. Um, that was average letter fluency, trail making test. So visual motor sequencing test. Um, Ms. Amundsen scored fall in that fell in the average range. So now I'm starting to get nervous because I'm like, I'm testing average in all of these things. What the fuck is going on? And then, but this is all goes, day one. Yes. Yeah. So then the rest of the tests are her performance on the letter numbering switching tasks fell in the low range reflective of mild deficit, mild deficits related to rapidly shifting her intention on the category, switching tasks, a measure of rapid retrieval from semantic knowledge and cognitive flexibility of shifting between two categories. She scored in the low range. Her score on the inhibition task fell below normal limits, which is reflective of deficits and inhibition impulses. Her performance on switching tasks fell also below limits. This pattern of performance is reflective of difficulties and ability to quickly shift attention. Ms. Amundsen's scores were reflective of deficits in her abilities to listen to oral information and repeat it immediately following a 20 to 30 minute delay. So more and more testing. So basically, as I go down the list of the testing that's done linearly, like the first three or so tests, I scored average. And then every single test thereafter below average in the low range. And, and so, and the first three were day one and then was test four to whatever day. After we, can that, or- pres- we can presume that because the first couple were um, visual motor and the last ones that the ones that I remember being really hard and that I cried through were memory based oral having to remember recall? things and recall and okay but that also kind of makes sense like medication or not you would be better at the visual ones yeah, I like I, I like would to struggle. create I would struggle with the visual ones a lot yeah totally yep. that makes sense so it may or may not have been a medication issue I know I think that that just was weird but it it is interesting though that you know so anyways so whatever so it just and all of the tests that you fail are in bolded. So as you go through every single test thereafter has a bold response and every single thing says her performance on the, for example, letter number switching task fell on the low range, um, reflective of deficits related to blah, blah, blah. So then I'm starting to feel relief because I'm like, okay, it's showing that I'm fucking up in all of these things. 
So now we go to the summary and conclusion. So can I read the whole thing? Just because this was so, this is more validating than my BPD diagnosis. At least that's how it feels now because that was so long ago. So Ms. Amundsen described a longstanding history dating back to childhood of struggles with distractibility, disorganization, forgetfulness, inefficient task completion, and ineffective use of time management. She also endorsed current impairments in functioning across settings related to these difficulties. Results from testing were consistent with the challenges. Specifically, she exhibited deficits in her ability to recall information presented in an auditory format immediately and following a delay. She almost, or she also demonstrated deficits in her ability to shift her attention and control her impulses, with, which impacts her speed for completing tasks efficiently. She is often tripped up by difficulties in her auditory memory abilities and executive functioning, which often results in discouragement and low frustration tolerance. She meets the criteria for de- attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, primarily um, uh, um, ADD. Um, attention deficit disorder. Yeah. But that prime. Yeah. But now they call it ADHD. And so it's like the non-hyperactive version. Anyways, I I can't remember what it's called. I was going to ask because I feel like you have said to me, or you've implied to me because of your use of ADD over ADHD, um, that you don't like resonate with the hyperactivity issue. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So does that feel invalidating to get the hyperactivity in that diagnosis? I don't love that they have now included. So the reason that they call it ADHD, but I'm still using ADD is because in the recent change of the DSM-5, ADD is now captured under ADHD. It's like Asperger's is under autism. Yeah. But yeah, so I don't, I don't feel invalidated by it at all. I just have to be like, I'm not hyperactive. Can I ask Um, though, why, why don't you resonate with hyperactivity because I don't score consistent with it okay fair enough okay yeah and and I can sit through things I like that's kind of the difference and I think part of why and we can talk more about this part of why it was never triggered in my childhood was because in classes I loved and in activities I love I'm in I'm all in I'm not hyperactive I'm not fidgety but in in things I'm not like all in on it's different Um, Um, But hold on. I was just going to say one other thing. Also, I feel like the understanding of ADHD, ADD has changed significantly since when we we were kids. So that makes sense to me that like it would have been missed, right? Especially in women at the time or girls. And we can talk about that. Uh, Okay. Miss Amundsen also described a history of struggles with affective instability dating back to childhood. She endorsed the onset of her symptoms to coincide with experiencing Multiple adverse childhood experiences, while she denied current symptoms consistent with post-traumatic stress disorder, she she endorsed ongoing difficulties with mood management, sadness, shame, worthlessness, hopelessness, adhedonia, and low energy. What does adhedonia mean again? I I feel like I've seen that on mine as well. Is it? I fucking forget, and I should know this, but... Okay. I'm going to Google it while you're talking. Yeah. She also described difficulties in managing and controlling excess worries, which are accompanied by autonomic arousal, restlessness, concentration problems, muscle, muscle tension, and sleep problems of additional concern or chronic struggle struggles, managing 
psychological distress exacerbated by low stress tolerance, impulsivity, as well as tumultuous and unstable relationships. Results from personal personality testing records reviewed and clinical observations were consistent with the following major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, and borderline personality disorder. While she does not meet current criteria for an eating disorder, it is also paramount importance to monitor her relationship with food and body image as she has chronic struggles with restrictive eating and a negative body image. It is also notable that she has struggles with alcohol use disorder. While alcohol use disorder is not considered a current area of clinical concern, her chronic struggles with effective instability and executive functioning put her at risk for future relapse. Miss Amundsen is a highly intelligent person with a desire to be successful. Her overall intellect um, falls in the average range, which also demonstrates intact personal She also demonstrates intact verbal reasoning, visual spatial abilities, processing speed skills, working memory abilities, and visual memory skills. Despite her strong foundation of skills, Ms. Amundsen is currently struggling in a variety of areas. It is helpful for her to receive accommodations and assistance in order for her to reach her full potential. The following recommendations are offered, blah, 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 yada, yada. So Lori, I will need a... um, accommodation to have more time for scheduling our podcast appointments. Um, do you have a doctor's note? Um, two things. I, I fucking do. 10 pages. I will send it to you. I have a psych report from when I was 13. Oh my God. We have to read through it. Yeah. So I will, I have it digitally. So I will, we can do an episode on that too. Cause I don't know why we should be that. so interesting. It is super interesting. I like talk about binge eating at like 13 and nobody's ever diagnosed me with it, even though I talked about it then and I still talk about it now. I'm super glad that you still have a BPD diagnosis because otherwise this would have been really awkward. (laughs) I can't rebrand. It's not going to happen. Well, and it's interesting too, because, you know, back in the day, several years ago, my psychiatrist was, um, had also said obsessive compulsive personality disorder. Um, which I have the, the childhood OCD diagnosis and, and compulsive issues that I still work around, but I wonder if actually the ADD symptoms is what was being missed and being identified as this kind of obsessive compulsive personality disorder diagnosis, because the OCPD has the like inflexibility that ADD has, um, and the kind of like strong attention-based compulsive things. Well, and then you add that with the BPD, which has the impulsivity, which ADHD also has. So yeah, it could be. I wouldn't have thought, I didn't really know anything about obsessive compulsive personality disorder until you told me you thought I had it. And then I Googled it and I was like, oh shit. Yeah, that's fair. Um, But I wouldn't, based on what I've read and the fact that you think I have it, I feel like I would, I think ADHD makes way more sense for you than that. Yeah. Right. That's what I'm thinking too. So, and, um, that was, that was, and I didn't talk to that psychologist about that disorder because I think now the ADD stuff makes more sense. So, um, anyway, so yeah, so I got the ADD diagnosis document and I started bawling and I was just like, you know, like the interesting thing for me that the borderline didn't support. And again, I was 23 when I got my BPD diagnosis. So like developmentally things were different. I had a much 
um, smaller understanding of like attachment and the impact that attachment has. So, you know, I can't say that the BPD diagnosis wouldn't have done this if I was also 28 when I received it. But what the ADD diagnosis did for me specifically was really validate this longstanding inability to attach to my parents. Um, and I wasn't expecting that. I've always felt this huge missing piece between my parents and I, and like really felt like this black sheep and I couldn't attach to them and I didn't understand. So I've had all this shame around it. And I'm feeling so much less shame about my inability to attach because the ADD diagnosis like shed so much light for me. And I remember texting you and I was like, I got my ADD diagnosis. Um, like I felt so fucking validated. And of course in classic borderline fashion, nobody was as excited about me as I was about my ADD diagnosis, but, um, I was, I was really excited for you, but I also like, you were, you were busy. I well, know all of that, but I was also like, yeah, duh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and I totally, sure. I totally understand that that's, that's not like it's different to have it formalized. Like somebody else telling you, but like, I think probably to a lot of people, it was like, yeah, I mean, I could have called that. Like, you know what well, I mean? so that's, what's interesting though, is that not a single person in my entire life, Lori, until I said, oh, I took this adult ADHD inventory scale and I score off the charts. Not a single person in my whole life ever said you have an issue with attention. I think people throughout all of those diagnoses, like, oh, you're bipolar and all of these things in my life. And nobody has ever said to me, you have any, an issue with attention. And part yeah, of I've, the reason I've actually, I've thought bipolar for you at times as well, because what, because you have like, this is why I, this is why I was curious about why you don't resonate with the type, the term hyperactivity is sometimes I, I have felt like maybe you're like edging towards mania, which would be hyperactivity. So it's just really interesting to me that I've thought that in the past, but you don't resonate with it. <sighs> oh, well, fuck Lori. We just changed the whole game. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just, I'm just curious. It's just interesting. Cause like what we see in ourselves is different in others. Right. Especially like teachers and you've gone to school for so long. Like, it's just interesting that nobody's ever thought this. I do like seriously wonder if it's like oh, well, she already has personality disorder. So that that's why she's like this, which is what kind of you thought initially, right? Like until you kind of realized that that wasn't the case. And then also the gender issues with ADHD. Yeah. Let's table the bipolar discussion for now. Cause that is just so overwhelming for me. I do become very hypomanic. It's true. Mm -hmm. But I think it's because of my I don't meet the clinical definition of hypomania, which would result in a bipolar two disorder diagnosis because I'd have to have at least five days of feeling energized on three hours or less of sleep. Yeah. So, I, don't, I don't, I don't necessarily have, I've never actually like been like, Oh, Sarah probably has like a bipolar diagnosis, but I've just, to me, you have had periods of like what I would call hyperactivity or mania, which is what's interesting that that doesn't resonate with you. But anyways, we can table it. Well, I think ADD can still have symptoms of like, that's why I think they're calling ADD and ADHD, just ADHD now inattentive type versus attentive hyperactive type, just like Asperger's and autism. It's all just like a spectrum. So 
Um, but primarily I present as inattentive type, which is not hyperactive. And I don't experience like an inability to stop like moving my body in a way that is like so functionally limiting Mm -hmm. in the same way that like a hypomania state would, or like a hyperactive state, but certainly sometimes like I've just fucking weird but okay anyways uh attachment so the it was really it made me really frustrated and angry because I lived with an educator my mom's a principal she was a teacher for 20 something years now she's a principal we had to do schoolwork in the summer before we were allowed to go outside and play it was a big issue in my life that I was not able to do the things that my mom wanted and needed me to do academically. I was highly gifted. I was in all of the, you know, you don't get a master's degree at 23 with a 3.98 GPA if you're not highly gifted, right? Like I was, I was in all of the um, high math and high English and all of the, like I was in full-time IB. I had to interview and test to get in all of that stuff. So for whatever reason, the classes that I um, didn't do well in though, I couldn't focus. I couldn't pay attention. And people would always just say to me, you know, it's trauma. Like her uncle just put a bullet in his head and she's, you know, crazy because of it. There's a lot going on at home. And that was a big part, um, I think, is that it got pushed off as trauma. But, like, I, I, I never felt like I was good enough for my mom academically because every single report card season, every single year, so, like, six times a year in my class, like, history, math, science, the classes that I didn't like, it would say, um, student needs to talk less in class. And I would get in so much trouble. Like my mom would ground me. She would cry. She would be upset. She would email my teachers. She would set up these special appointments with teachers after school to meet with me and my teacher and my mom. And she would be like, what seating arrangement can you put her in so that she's not distracting other students in class? Like, how can you get her to be quiet? And it was always just Sarah, just, you need to be quiet, just be quiet. And I was always like, okay, I'm sure fucking trying, but like, how is it possible that I went through 12 years of public school getting in trouble at every single report card season. And nobody said maybe there's some underlying attention-based issue. I think that's a generational thing too. Big time. I mean, like we're getting to the point where we're old (laughs) and like 28 and 15 for ADHD type things is completely different. I don't think people talked about ADHD when we were in school that I- Not for girls. No, definitely not for girls. And I like, I got kicked out of classes and told to run to the fence. Like I got kicked out of classes and told to sit in the hall. And those things were never consistent with my grades because I felt such 
shame and fear of getting in trouble more with my family around schooling that I just was able to figure out how to make it. I cheated a lot in middle school. I cheated a lot in middle school, specifically in like, um, not because I couldn't learn the things and I wasn't capable, but because I couldn't keep up with what they were saying. I remember in seventh grade math being like, who can I sit next to so that I can like copy because I can't follow along with what they're doing. But I didn't know that. I just thought I was crazy. So I digress. All of this stuff was hard, but I didn't know it was hard. I just thought that I couldn't shut up and there was something wrong with me and I just needed to fucking shut up and I couldn't shut up. Right. And there, I have so much shame around that impulsivity piece, but this is 100% why now I believe that my mom and I could not securely attach, which has resulted in a lot of harm for me and harm for her in our, across our like lifespan together. And it's interesting because we have a beautiful relationship in many ways, but it's also very, very enmeshed and trauma bonded. And I still feel so much anxiety about my mom. And I know that it's because she was a teacher and she had really high expectations. And my brain was never going to allow me to meet those expectations that were set. And I know that if my mom was listening, which I hope that she's not, because I don't want her to blame herself in any way. I believe that all of the, you know, all parents always do the best that they can with what they have. She just didn't have a lot, but like, it makes perfect sense to me why my entire life I've never felt close to this person that so clearly wants to be close to me. And I just have never been able to feel safe. Like she actually does love me because I couldn't fucking do the things that I was supposed to do being the teach, like the teacher's daughter. So that's been really, really hard. And I was not met with, I sent a text to my parents and I said, like, I sent a screenshot and I was like, look, I failed all of these tests. I have this formal ADD diagnosis. And my dad didn't send a single message in response. And my mom sent one. Um, and my therapist was like, you know, really picking apart the message that my mom sent. And was like, I'm trying to find the place that there's validation here, but I'm not finding it. And I was like, listen, Jennifer, you're not going to find it. One, because Sherry doesn't inherently have the skills, but two, because I can only imagine that her as an educator is feeling and experiencing such self-blame and shame that she can't validate because that would feel so invalidating to her, even though it's not her fault. Like, that would been like because she the parenting was it. yes, and the parenting style then was very much ground your kids if they don't fall in line. It wasn't assess. And my mom was going through so much fucking trauma, having lost a brother to suicide, her family falling apart, another brother in and out of like my mom would pick him up under the bridge and shower him and feed him and then send send him back um, because of his opiate use and his homelessness and. Like there was so much going on in my childhood that of course she missed it. It wasn't her fault, but I don't, I don't think she has enough esteem to say that. So she avoids and I'm anxious. And so it's been 
I would say a disaster for me in my relationship with my parents lately navigating this. Um, so that's, that's been a part of it. Can we talk about why it's a disaster? I know yeah. that you, I'm, I'm struggling because I want to protect my parents. My parents are beautiful, mm-hmm. lovely people. Obviously you've met my mom, right? My parents are amazing humans. They are very avoidant. Mm-hmm. They're very, very avoidant. And I'm I think very, many very of our anxious. parents are. I think many yeah. of our parents are, that's part of the invalidation that we experienced in childhood that ended up with how we yeah. are now. So it's a disaster to your relationship because you didn't feel validated, correct? Yeah. I mean, my dad didn't acknowledge it. <laughs> he literally didn't send a text. And how what, is that possible? What were you hoping that they would say? Anything, I guess, for your dad? I think I was hoping that they would say something along the lines of like, I'm really proud of you for pursuing something in adulthood that would give you more insight and help you be more effective. And I could see now looking back how things were so challenging for our family. Like, you know, I was the, I was a bad kid. I was the scapegoat. My parents still talk to this day, how it was a huge struggle to raise me. And, you know, my brother really got the short end of the stick because I was monopolizing everyone's time and with all of my problems and my issues. And I wish that they could say, I see now that it wasn't your fault, Sarah. Yeah, that's understandable. I'm sorry that you didn't get that. And part, so, and part of it, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really having a lot of communication with my parents right now. Part of it is that I have such anxious attachment that I am constantly seeking validation from them that they don't have the skills to give me. And so it's not effective for me to continue pursuing validation from them because they're not going to gain those skills unless they greatly acknowledge the persistent and profound traumas that they've experienced in their life that has resulted in them avoiding so much. And I don't think at this point in their life, they want to acknowledge those things. And that's fair because you know, if it's been a, 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 if it's been Mount Hood for me, it's going to be Mount fucking Everest for them with their childhoods. Right. And they just, in order to be functional and keep going, especially with my mom's, you know, medical issues, I, they just can't. And so I have to learn how to have an effective relationship with them that allows me to love them and have, and see them where they're at without um, invalidating myself constantly by seeking validation from them. That's not coming where my mental health is concerned. They can validate how well I'm doing financially and they can validate that I'm really good at, you know, supporting myself and hiking and traveling and that I do cool things. Like they can validate all of that. None of that fucking matters to me. They can't validate the true reality of my mental health. And, um, part of it is that I'm so anxious for their validation that they don't know a lot of things about me because I've hidden them. And this ADD diagnosis brought that to light for me. And I do think like I, you, you alluded to it earlier, but my dad also said this on the podcast is like, there are a lot of times where you don't want to admit your kids have issues because it means that you fucked up or, or that you're like your kid, right? Like in my dad's situation with me, it's like, Oh, I am my father. So if I'm fucked up, he's fucked up. And that's the thing is that I don't believe that they fucked up. I believe that they did the best that they had with what the best that they could with what they had and that they didn't have hardly anything. 
And I think that it would be more painful for them to acknowledge that they didn't have anything and that they weren't given anything than it would be for them to say they fucked up. Interesting. I mean, from, from my perspective, my dad would have to acknowledge a profound childhood physical abuse. I'm not going to share my, my dad's life. That's not my right, but he would have to really tackle things that I couldn't imagine tackling. And he would have to begin to name the impact of having a wife who's dying and he's not prepared to do that. You know, like all of those things would have to also happen in order for him to acknowledge who Adam and I are. He would have to acknowledge the impact of being the husband to the wife that lost three brothers to suicide. My dad had to go acknowledge the bodies sometimes because my mom couldn't, you know, like he's not going to do that. God bless him. Who would want to do that? It's not his fault. Yeah, totally. And he was, he's a male who grew up in a generation where this wasn't talked about ever. And not that that's an excuse to not change, but like, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge that we talk now so openly about mental health, but like, my God, can you imagine if we were 30 years older than we are? Like we would be in a little shame spiral more than we already are in a little shame spiral all the time. And we would not be able to talk about it. And that's tragic. Yeah, it is tragic. And that is part of this ADD thing for me is like, now that I have named this thing and I have more insight and understanding, I am no longer willing to compromise myself and my esteem in order to seek a relationship with them that works for them. Right. Like I feel like I need to be met more halfway. And part of that means me not hiding anymore. Like if I've been unable to have an authentic relationship with them at times in my life, it's a huge um, part is my fault that I've been unwilling and unable to show them authentically who I am. And if I begin to show them authentically who I am, and they don't know how to navigate that, I'm not going to internalize that as more shame. And so right now that looks like less contact after this ADD diagnosis. I really hope, you know, soon and eventually it will look like more contact and me not anxiously seeking their validation. Totally. I hope that too. So now that you're official, welcome to the I'm the, I'm not in the ADHD club. I can't welcome you, but congratulations. You're official. You're validated by the fact that you get this diagnosis and I'm really happy for you. She's doing a little dance for those of you who can't see. That's the second dance this episode. If we if we cared more and we showered before we podcasted, we would record video, but we don't. Um <laughs> and we probably never will because I don't have time to, for showering. So what's next for you? You're on a medication you're feeling validated. You've kind of come up. I, I've seen you do some new skills around like fidgeting in an effective way while you're in meetings. So what else? Um, I'm going to order really expensive, nice noise canceling headphones because a lot of external audio stimuli drives me into a borderline rage quick. And I use those words very specifically because like a bitch will throw a pizza box across a room if it's too loud and overwhelming. Um, No, but no. And those don't noise cancel enough for my dogs. They're amazing for me. I, I, I'm the same way. I wear them all day, even if I'm not 
listening to something because I get so overstimulated by noise that it's just like the only way I can focus. Like if my AirPod Pros died tomorrow, I would have to buy new ones because I would be like, oh my God, I have to live in a world that has noise. (laughs) I can't do it. I cannot, I cannot focus. I can't do it. It's really hard. So I'm going to get noise canceling headphones. I'm just starting to tell people more like, you know, my clients, they can know that they have a therapist with ADD. That's fair. I'm always going to be like three minutes late to session. That's pretty normal. Also when you practice therapy, but um, like if I accidentally miss, if I accidentally double schedule my clients and I have to change their scheduling around, they deserve to know that like, I didn't forget about them. I just have a brain that doesn't help me remember. So I'm being more transparent with people. Andrew and I are kind of coping ahead in some ways for things that like, it's really distressing to him when I all of a sudden change the plans <laughs> and listen, I fucking change the plans all the time. Cause I can't, you know, like it's really, you've seen it. I mean, I've canceled so many podcast recordings, like literally when we're there and that I know is overwhelming and upsetting to you, but I, so Andrew and I are starting to cope ahead, noise canceling headphones, staying medicated, letting people know that this is something that I struggle with so that they can have more grace for me and not, internalize it as me not valuing them. But then I think the biggest thing is just, yeah, this kind of like self-validation, radical acceptance, um, and attachment-based work. Like even if I end up having a less close relationship with my family because of this, like if I'm honoring myself and no longer seeking this validation for things, like I wanted to call my mom and be like, I paid my rent on time. Like I was like, you know, like I do that all the time. I call my mom or my dad about things that to them are like, why I'm not going to congratulate you. You're 28, but it's like, it's a big deal. You know, like it's a big deal to me that I do things on time. And I want to, I want someone to tell me good job. Well, they, they can't be enthusiastic about something that they don't understand. So like, I have to stop seeking anxious attachment, validating cycles. And that is helpful for me. I love diagnoses when they fit, you know, like, oh, labels are bad, blah, 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 blah. That is just not the experience of so many people like us. And I'm just so happy for you that you got what you needed and you were able to go through that, what sounded like a freaking grueling process. I cannot even imagine. Like, I know how stressed you were about it. I know how sad, like not sad, but like stressed you were after <laughs> the fact because it was so stressful and just it like. It was really tiring, man. I cannot imagine. I literally can't. But to know that you really did the due diligence to get like properly tested for something And to now have that on your record to be like, okay, look, like, this is why I'm struggling. This is probably why I've been struggling for 28 years. And now I can do something about it. And like this medicine guard, something, guadacil? Guanfacine. Guanfacine. It's a non-stimulant. Like, I, I know it's not a perfect medication. No medication is perfect. But like, my God, you guys, listeners. This medication has changed me and Sarah's relationship <laughs> because I I have things to work on. And I actually was telling Sarah this not that long ago um, at work. I've started noticing I have this, what I didn't realize was like a really great ability to multitask. 
And not everybody has that. And it took me a long time to realize like why I was so frustrated sometimes with people is because I was able to do like four things at once and other people can't. And so it takes them four times longer because they can't do them all at once. And I know that like, that's something that like Sarah and I differ on as well. So just like having the awareness of like, okay, it's ADHD. It's not Sarah just like not caring. Cause like, sometimes that's how it comes off. Right. It's like, well, For sure. well, you know, you could have told me 20 minutes before the podcast episode, so I could have gone out or done something, you know what I mean? So like, it's just been helpful for our relationship and the medication has been helpful in terms of like your ability to not feel super overwhelmed about dates. Uh, not that long ago, Sarah sent me dates for podcast recording before I had to send her dates. That is impressive. Like, like that has never happened. And I, I was so proud of you because I was like, holy shit, like, look at her go. She's nailing this. And I think just that awareness of like, it doesn't have to be a guilt thing for you to like, not be able to do certain things. Cause now you're like, Oh, it's literally brain chemistry. Yeah. I really, I think my only regret is not knowing about it in my marriage, but you know, water under the bridge, there's literally nothing I can do. I'm not getting back together with my ex-wife. So, um, no, and you had lots of problems that weren't ADHD related for sure. Um, I do wonder about, yeah, past relationships being really significantly impacted by this, but again, like I just, there's really nothing I can do now. So the best I can do is just move forward. I will say, I, I also have to acknowledge that for me, it's been helpful for you that you have kind of started to name your privilege a bit. I don't know what that, like the privilege based conversations look like in Canada, but like in the workforce here in America, that's like a big part of our culture is that like people are starting to say, Oh yeah, this is something that I have, I'm good at and I have privilege here. And so like, because for me, yeah, it's just really, it's just something I can't, there's so many things I can't control about myself that are very different than you. And I have privilege over you in other areas that you don't have privilege over. And I try really hard to like validate that, but it's been very validating and helpful for me in our relationship that when you do acknowledge those kind of areas that you have inherent privilege compared to me, and it helps me feel like safer in our relationship to just be myself. So yeah, I think, I think this was big for us. So awesome. I will give you the final word on Sarah's conclusion of the ADHD diagnosis for now. I'm sure we'll be talking more about like treatment later, but floor is yours. Yeah. I don't really have, I don't have one. Um, I don't have one. I do feel anxious about the hypomania comment that you made. It makes me feel really shameful and guilty, even though I know that that wasn't what you intended. And you, that my feelings have nothing to do with your behavior. I get to own them, but like, that's all that internalized, like she's too much. She's too big. She's too. Oh no, 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 no. Uh, Can I, can I clarify my statement there? It yeah, was, for sure. <laughs> it was not, it was not that she's too much. She's too big at all. The reason that it was interesting to me, I mean, I'm also too much and too big. Like we're all that. That's what BPD is, right? Like that's what makes us amazing, cool, like giant people in this world. But what I've noticed in you, and I'm not a clinician and I don't assess you obviously, but just in our, in our like relationship is periods of like product, like really, really productive. And then periods of like depression and then periods of like really, really productive and then periods of depression, which they seem to be approximately two weeks long (laughs) at a lot of times, which is interesting because that's really the bipolar kind of trajectory. 
And so that's the only reason that I asked is because I have seen at least what from my like outsider perspective looks like at least like hyper productivity in like spans of time. So it's not hyperactive in like annoyance. It's like just hyper productive in certain like spans of time, if that makes sense. Yeah. I will say, um, Andrew has started giving me my meds. So up until recently, I probably have not gone the entire time. I've known you more than a week with taking my meds every single day. Um, and then my alcohol use. So that fluctuates so much that I think that hypomania was probably more related to those things, but totally. And you also have a lot of shit going on in your life where like your mood is going to shift. And then like, I mean, even I do it, like I can have a couple of weeks where like, I'm like, yeah, go, 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 go. I've got everything organized. I'm ahead of schedule. And then I can have a couple of weeks where, or like, maybe it's not a couple of weeks for me, but like at least four or five days of like, can't do anything. Can't get out of like, you know, just like can't function in the way that I normally function. So like, it's not, it's not a criticism at all. It's just like an observation. Oh no, I know. Yeah, No, yeah. I know. I know it's not a criticism, but you know how it is. We're all like programmed to internalize all of this as shame and not, and being so othered and, and 20% of people with borderline also experienced bipolar disorder. So one in five. Well, and that's something that we haven't explored enough, to be honest, is because it's so commonly misdiagnosed. Whereas we don't really often talk about the like comorbid conditions, but yeah, just uh, congratulations. Long story short, like I'm really happy that you got the diagnosis and that it feels right and validating for you because that's the best kind of diagnosis. It is. It is. Hi friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bold Beautiful Borderline podcast. Lori and I are so grateful that you're here with us on this journey and we can't wait to dive into more topics in the future with you all about borderline and even have some more fun and exciting guests to join us on the podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you would rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. We would also love to see you interact with us on social media and on our Patreon page. The links to that are included in the show notes, so check us out there. We would be incredibly honored to get to know you all as you get to know us and our recovery stories. We love you, and we'll see you next time.